This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. Today we are discussing Season 5, Episode 7, the penultimate episode of the first half of the last season. Joined, as always, by my good friend, Josh Goldman. We're sitting here at the end of election week, and it has been a week. Josh, how are you? Say my name. Say, <laughs> say, say my name. Um, y- yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> say, say, say my name. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm glad to... to uh, be past the election you know we were talking before we started recording that it's been a it's just been a long drawn out process i think i think a lot of that has to do with you know the 24-hour news cycle and social media and and how many different people are weighing in a lot of people weighing in without any expertise which is just kind of the norm i think in our in our society these days but anyway i'm happy to have it behind us and i'm excited to talk about this episode here today because i was i was watching it and, you know, we've, we had a couple slower episodes earlier in the season. And in fact, I went back and looked at the the ringer. You know, we've talked a couple yeah. times about the ringer rankings of the Breaking Bad series. And I did. I, we totally glanced over it. But if, if you sort of listen to our episode closely, when we talked about hazard pay, which was episode three, that is the last ranked episode in the ringers list and Ouch. i think Ouch. If, if i'm thinking back on our on our podcast correctly that's one of the episodes where we said yeah i just had i had a hard time picking a best scene and <laughs> yeah best moment best writing none of it was it, good you know, yeah so but but again we've talked about even even the worst breaking bad episode is a is a pretty good episode of television so but but the one today say my name opens with a bang and and i know we'll get into that but I'm excited to talk about this episode. I know we have a, a little bit of business that I teased at the end of the last episode. I'll let you introduce that uh, before we get into this episode. But yes, doing well. Great. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm excited for this one, uh, this discussion as well. But like you said, before we do that, I want to read at least part of an email from a listener named Sam. Sam, thank you for the email. And dear listeners, if you want to get in touch and you know push back on one of our insights or just you know bring up something that we haven't talked about like Sam does here, That'd be great. Breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com. Well, Sam says, hey, guys, just wanted to tell you guys how much I love your podcast. I look forward to it every week. I've been slowly watching through Breaking Bad for the fourth time now. All right. And I'm on season three, episode four. And then he says, the only thing I have to add is I think you guys should talk about the color choices. I can't remember if you have or not. On my current watch through, I'm paying close attention to the colors of characters, clothing and other items. So great point, Sam. I think we maybe have like mentioned hues and colors here and there. But what we have not done is talked about how how consistent this is as a theme and sort of a directorial pictorial tool and cue for Vince Gilligan and the creative team on here. So yes, uh, great point, Sam. Colors feature very prominently in Breaking Bad. Josh, is this something that you noticed on your first watch through of the series? I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if it was a conscious thing, but I, I certainly noticed some of the the bright color choices. And I think some of the biggest ones that you might remember are, you think about Walt's green tones especially yep. towards the beginning and and i and i also the the other one that stands out is is the yellow hazmat suits they wear when they're cooking meth i think those are the two that stood out and of course i think while i was watching it i started reading some things about this and and the other one that people mention a lot is the fact that marie is always in purple and not just in purple but like everything around her is purple so i think that's probably the most obvious and the most consistent color that's used throughout the entire series and I think we're going to talk about how 
you know, people wear different colors or are associated with different colors based on what possibly the colors might mean. You know, when you think about colors, you know, sometimes you think about green meaning greed or, or envy or something like that. Um, and, and Marie is the only one who doesn't really change because she's a pretty consistent character throughout the whole series. Like, it's not a bad thing. She just doesn't evolve in terms of going from, you know, X end of the spectrum to Y end of the spectrum. So she's pretty consistent. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you about the three colors. I would also add Skylar, who frequently wears blue. And I think on my first watch through, I was wondering, why is Skylar always in blue and Marie always in purple? And to me, I wasn't as struck by the Walt in green uh, and the sort of yellow governing the meth, but there's a great article on um, fandom.com specifically on the sort of breaking bad sub wiki for fandom.com that kind of breaks through some of the color theory going on here or breaks down some of the color theory. And it all centers on this idea of the painter's wheel, which is a sort of uh, a circular palette of colors. And you have the primary colors, the red, blue, and yellow and then you have the violet, orange, and green as the secondary colors, and you have all the sort of gradations of colors arranged in a circle along those lines. And um, if you if you look at sort of the diametric opposites of colors on that wheel, I think it's informative here. So yellow is pretty clearly in Breaking Bad, the color of the meth cook. We see Gus Fring, the meth boss, wear yellow shirts consistently. That's kind of like the color of his boss shirt at uh, Los Poyos Hermanos. Uh, we eventually see Walt kind of shift from his green hues to more of that like kind of cream yellow color. And then obviously, like you said, Josh, the yellow hazmat suits, et cetera. Um, Jesse wears yellow on several occasions as well. But then opposite, so the diametric opposite on the color wheel from yellow is, of course, purple. And Marie is the the most consistent character. I mean, if we like accept, you know, Holly from here <laughs> of the main adult <laughs> cast members, yeah. Marie is most consistently like the furthest away from the meth, right? Because Hank is going after the meth cooks. Skyder's living with the meth cook. Walt and Jesse are cooking the meth. Marie's just you know, totally oblivious to all of it. And so there's the purple thing. There's also like some subtleties going on with the Marie thing, though, because only someone who like is a little bit crazy would have as much purple as she does everywhere like she only wears purple she has that giant purple throw rug in her house and purple pillows her bedspread is purple in her house like there's purple everywhere and uh when i was watching that the first time through i was like is this like sometimes somehow tied to her like kleptomania where she steals things all the time like what's going on here and so i think there might be some subtle messages going on there as well but another thing i was compelled by is the idea of blue as a color of loyalty which makes sense as to why Skylar wears blue all the time. She still can't bring herself to leave Walt, et cetera. So there's, it's a distorted kind of perverted loyalty, but it's a loyalty nonetheless. Yeah. The, the other thing about Marie, you know, I was looking at, you know, one of the commonly adhered to definitions of purple or what it might symbolize is luxury. Mm. And I think Marie, you know, I think that sort of plays into her kleptomania because she wants to be a sort of higher class than maybe she is, you know, Hank is, he's not hurting in his job, but, but it's not like they're, they're upper class here. And Marie is, you know, a med tech, I think, or, or a nurse or something like that. She doesn't have, she's not like a doctor. They're not, they're not like spending a bunch of money, but I think having purple things makes her feel more luxurious. So that could be another reason for the purple. The thing about the colors that I do want to say though, is, you know, if you read this, this very in-depth article on, we can link it in the show notes for you guys. If you want to, if you want to look at it as well. Um, the thing that I like about it is that it's it's very detailed. The thing that I don't like about it is that it it tries to 
to reference every single time a person wore a certain color and what that might mean. And I think looking at the colors in sort of a broad, broad view, sort of like, uh, you know, 5,000 foot view of this is a much more effective way to see how the colors were used because, you know, you could look at each episode and say, well, what is he wearing? Does that match up with what he's doing and, and whatnot? But I think you want to see sort of what patterns you're seeing. So Walt is wearing green towards the beginning. He shifts towards that yellowish beige color. And then we see him wearing black towards the end. Right. And so I think seeing that in a in a bigger sense, as opposed to in one episode, he was wearing green, but then the next episode he was wearing red. So does that mean something? Maybe it does. But I think if you get bogged down in that, you sort of miss the the sort of the bigger picture that they were trying to go for, which is just having something else to support, you know, what we're seeing from these characters. And it's just a smart visual way to do that. The other thing I like about the the color wheel too, uh, just before uh, you jump back in here, is that if you look at this color wheel and the way that it's laid out, and and you could even think this in your head if you know the, the Roy G. Bibb, the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, sort of the rainbow. And you just uh, rattled that here. off, Josh. You know, when you have kids, you just... <laughs> I've listened to Mickey Mouse sing about the colors of the rainbow oh, no. way too much, way too many times. But if you look at it, you sort of see, you know, Zach, you were talking earlier about how purple is the polar opposite of yellow. But it, you also look at things like orange being on the opposite side as green. And we know Hank wears a lot of the earth tones, the orange, the browns, which is the opposite of what Walt wears. So yes, they are family, but they're separated by this. And if you look on the color wheel, they're separated by the meth, the yellow, what's representative of the meth. So you can sort of see that the colors aren't just representative, you know, in what they're wearing and what we see, but also, you know, it's, it's starting to show like character divides and how characters come together. Purple and blue are right next to each other. Marie and Skylar are sisters. You know, it's sort of things like that as well that you can sort of start to pick up on when you look at look at all these different colors. Yeah, and I think um, you know, this sounds a little bit hokey perhaps. People who are like not familiar with the show, this sounds like some fans who are just going a little bit too far overboard over analyzing things. I will say if people have listened this long, they're probably okay with us talk, talking well, that, about the colors. That's certainly true, but like if if a, uh, you know, one of our listeners was to go talk to their you know, non Breaking Bad fan friends, and I have many of them about all the color theory. I, you know, I think it would probably just sound like you know over the top fandom, but this is not this is not hypothetical or theoretical. This is like something that Vince Gilligan has talked about. I was reading this interview between um, a GQ writer and Vince Gilligan uh, during the final season of the show, and I've got it pulled up here, so I'll just read an excerpt here. The the um, GQ writer asks um, this week's episode. Uh, struck me as a great example of the way you use colors and the visual detail that goes into the show. How much do you obsess over those details? And Vince Gilligan says, good question. I obsess a great deal more than I should over those details. I sweat the small stuff. I have a lot of help in that, in that my production designer, a man named Mark Freeborn, and before him we had a previous production designer named Rob Wilson King, has always spent a lot of time on Breaking Bad thinking about those details as well. We would talk a lot with our costume designer about color, specifically the use of color, at the beginning of every series, we'd have a meeting in which I would discuss with the production designer and the costume designer about the specific palettes we would use for any given character throughout the course of the year. We did this in microcosm in the pilot episode. It was intentional that Walt start off very beige and khaki-ish, very milquetoast, and he would progress through that one hour of television to green and thus show his process of evolution as a character. We started to do that in macrocosm throughout particular series. We'd start Walt, for example, for one year in red and take him to black. The one character we did not do that with was Marie, who stayed very consistent in her color palette. She would always wear purple to the extent of being quite monomaniacal about it. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. But there's quite a number of man hours spent discussing color usage, 
usage and assigning colors to different characters and thinking in those terms. So pretty cool there. Uh, and I just love how Vince Gilligan and his team just take such a, a, a an attentive eye to these details because it really does all come together and complement the show and, and tell the narrative very, very well. Well, I think that the other thing too is that that's what that's one of the things that separates Breaking Bad from, you know, just your your normal procedural on on a network television channel. You know, it's like they're not thinking about color palettes, whereas that's just one of the many things that Vince Gilligan and Co are thinking about. My my one nit to pick with with the color thing here, and maybe it's more of a nit to pick with the the article on the fandom site than anything else, but. You know, we were talking about how meth is often associated with the color yellow. And yet Walt's signature meth is blue. And maybe that's just because that's his signature and they wanted to separate it out. But I think they could have easily gone with a yellow looking meth and it could have been like the gold meth and it could have been even more on the nose. So I'm not really sure what the and what the impetus was for making it blue unless it was just to sort of stand out. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I don't. I have no thoughts on that. I, I saw a line that said the meth should have been yellow. I don't know if that means that, you know, a methylamine cook would in real life produce a yellow product. Right. Um, or if this is just saying that, you know, the best explanation for the color palette is that the meth is yellow. But I, I mean, to some degree, like it doesn't matter to me because I think it's not about the meth being yellow, but like the meth industry everything touching the meth cooking is yellow right. and it's that's yellow, yeah and that's what is conveyed in the use of the color wheel yeah well thank you so much sam for that recommendation i'm glad we talked about it i'm glad you emailed us and mentioned that so that we could cover it on the podcast uh we'd love to hear your thoughts as well so if you have more as you're continuing your rewatch send us a note breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com and with that josh let's dive into season five episode seven say my name you mentioned this has quite a quite a great cold open. I think it's maybe the longest cold open in the entire show. Uh, it's about yeah. six and a half minutes long, so it's it feels like we're well underway into the episode, and then we get the credits. Um, but lots going on in this episode. We'll just start right off here with the, the probably now one-minute summary, and then we'll go from there. Here's the summary, courtesy of Wikipedia. Walter, Jesse, and Mike meet with Declan so that Walter can negotiate a deal to cook with Jesse and pay off Mike. Jesse still wants to quit the business, so Walter employs Todd as his assistant. Told to end his pursuit of Mike, Hank instead follows Dan Waksberger, the lawyer who is laundering Mike's money. Dan gives in to the DEA, but Walter finds out and warns Mike. When they meet, Walter demands that Mike tell him the names of the nine people in prison whose silence Mike has been paying for. Mike refuses, so Walter shoots and kills him just before he is able to drive away, immediately regretting the decision when he realizes Lydia would give him the names. There it is, Josh. What grade do you give this summary? You know, this isn't so bad. I think it covers all the major points. Of course, it doesn't get into the nuances of, of the episode, but you don't necessarily need the summary to do that. So I'll give it a B. It's not too bad. I'm going to go C+. Plus. I mean, we still don't know who this Declan guy is. He's just <laughs> yeah, name dropped. Have, yeah, <laughs> uh, no explanation. We have a sentence that ends with a preposition. Oh, yeah, um, that's fair. You know, I, I, I would have given it a bonus point. I would have bumped it a whole letter grade if they had included uh, Mike's little quip at the end of the, <laughs> end of yeah, the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's not bad overall. I mean, I, I think this is probably in the top 10, 10% of the ones that we've read so far. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, I've got a few trivia and bloopers here, Josh. If you have anything to add, please do. Um, first thing, this was uh, Cranston's pick for his 2013 Emmy nod. He did not win the Emmy that year, but this was his selection of the show. He probably just loved that scene where he says, say my name. <laughs> 
I mean, to be fair, like, I think he'd won almost every time before this. And I feel like at a at a certain point, and I think he wins for the, the last batch of episodes as well. He does. And I feel like at a certain point, the the Emmy voters were just like, we got to spread the love a little bit, maybe just a little bit. So they gave it to Jeff Daniels for the newsroom, which, which I don't know if you ever. Fantastic show. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. He did a great job. And I think that was the first season of the newsroom, which, uh, you know, was one of HBO's new big things. So it makes sense why they gave it to someone else. He's very good. I mean, uh, Brian Krantz is very good in this episode, though. Same, say, say my name. You know who I am. Say my name. Um, I I love saying that. Okay, so some more trivia here. So um, this is actually a blooper. When Walt is talking to Declan in that scene, he says he's trying to sell his idea that Hill Cook and Declan will run distribution. He says higher purity equals a higher yield. Not true. Higher purity means you have more of the precursor uh, in every volume uh, unit, and so you actually have a lower yield because it'll take more methylamine to produce uh, what you come up with. Um, all the $100 bills that the banker is putting into the safety, safety deposit boxes have the same exact serial number, obviously, because they're just, you know, props. Um, but you can actually see it on the camera. And then uh, this is kind of a fun piece of trivia, not a blooper. But because Mike dies, Jonathan Banks, uh, the actor who plays Mike Ehrmantraut, in honor of Jonathan Banks' uh, ending in this show, for that scene in which he dies, apparently the crew all wear either uh, all wore either black clothes or black armbands to mourn his <laughs> premature death. I thought that was pretty funny. That's good. That's good. Do we need to go back to the color wheel to figure out what that the all of them wearing black means? Uh, I think so, definitely. <laughs> does it extend? Does it extend all the way to the crew? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I mean, yeah, we, we yeah, just yeah. heard Vince Gilligan say he, he obsessed over it. Yeah, he probably picked out their clothes for that. That. Yeah, the the so I think what the first thing you said the higher purity does not equal a higher yield. So I think what you what really he meant to say there was higher purity equals higher purity. It's just not exactly a, doesn't doesn't roll <laughs> exactly. off the tongue quite as well. Higher purity equals higher purity. Say my name. I mean, he could <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on, yeah, you, you know, say, say my name. Um, all right. So, uh, any broader thoughts and themes, Josh? Or are you ready to just dive right into your best scene? Because I'm ready to play it right just, now. Yeah, I think we should just dive right in. All right. Who the hell are you? You know. You all know exactly who I am. Say my name. Do what? I don't don't have a damn clue who the hell you are. Yeah, you do. I'm the cook. I'm the man who killed Gus Fring. Bullshit. Cartel got Fring. You sure? That's right. Now, say my name. Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. And then, boom, you go right into the credit sequence. You, you almost, as you said, you almost forget that you haven't seen that yet because it's, you know, such a, we've been going for so long, but. Man, this is such a good scene. I mean, that's only the last, you know, like 45 seconds of it. There's a lot that leads. I, I was trying to find the best part for this, and I think that's probably the most representative. Of oh, the whole yeah, scene. definitely. But but there's so many good things before that, you know, where he talks about, 
you have the best, the two best meth cooks here, you know, in history. I think when Declan says, well, who the hell are you? I think we, the audience, are like, Declan, who the hell are you? We don't know who you are. And Wikipedia certainly isn't helping in these two-minute summaries. So, yeah, it's just it's just so good. And I think that the the thing about it is that this is a prime example of an actor who has complete control over their character because there are lots of ways an actor could have played this, but the way that Brian Cranston approaches this, he never raises his voice to a level that you might expect him to. He's always super calm. And even when he says that last line, that sort of punch, he doesn't like scream it at him. He just says it in such a commanding way that you, you can't help but take notice. And I have to imagine, like I, I, I was th- watching the scene again and I was thinking, you know, when Declan says Heisenberg and he sort of mumbles it under his breath, you know, sometimes in shows, uh, you know, you might expect the the response to be, what was that? I didn't hear you like say it louder. And it, it's possible that that was even written or filmed, but then they just cut it out in editing. But I think the way that they put it together was the exact right way. I think just to show that other character who just minutes before was completely dominant or seemed dominant in the scene. You even had Mike reacting behind Walt a lot of the time with that face he makes when he's like, uh, Walter, why are you doing this? You know, and it completely turns around in like the last second. And I think it's another interesting moment because we've talked before about how Walt as a character is not this like macho buff guy. Like you wouldn't normally be scared of him, but he drops this. I'm the guy who killed Gus Fring. And that changes everything. And it's just the 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 respect that he commands after he says that is it's just amazing to watch that dynamic play out in the scene. It's also really well shot. It's in this beautiful location in the desert. You have these like beautiful New Mexico colors and everything about it just came together so well. And it's just such an exciting way to kick off the episode. We've talked before about how sometimes you watch these episodes and you're not really sure what's going on at the beginning or they start a little bit more slowly, but this one just kicks you right into gear. So this is probably in the category of nits to pick, uh, but I'll just come out with it now. Does, does the acting performance by Declan bother you at all? Yeah, he's not great. Yeah. But I think, but I, I, I sort of think about it like Brian Cranston is this big gust of wind. He might even be a hurricane. And the guy who plays Declan, who we don't even know. I'm looking him up right now. (laughs) He's sort of a person who didn't evacuate. And now he's like holding on to the side of his house as the hurricane is blowing past him. And he's just doing the best he can. You know, like he's never going to stand up to the hurricane, but at least he's there. He didn't he didn't let go. So, yeah, he's not he's not great. But I think that that ultimately, you know, sometimes that can detract. We talked before in previous seasons about how. You know, some characters like Jesse's parents, these minor characters who make small appearances sort of detract. I I don't think this detracts so much because it actually makes what Walt is doing, what Brian Cranston is doing, seem even bigger and better. Yeah, that's fair. I I think that uh, that I would be more persuaded by by Brian Cranston's performance here if it was opposite a bona fide star as well. And the the guy's name is uh, Louis Ferreira. Not personally criticizing here. He's certainly a way better actor than I would be in this situation. But I'm just not compelled. I mean, he's we've talked before about these like Anna Gunn, Brian Cranston scenes, right? Um, or uh, even Brian Cranston versus Giancarlo Esposito, right? Like it's it's mano y mano, and it's really impressive. I don't get that vibe here, and so for me, it just it brings the whole scene down just a notch. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. But I think that just sort of what the scene also propels, you know, for this episode and for the future is important as well. And I think that when I'm considering what the best scene is, it's not just all of the elements coming together to make great television, but it's also what makes most sense for driving the show forward. Yeah, that makes sense. I will also add that one thing I love about the scene uh, that we don't normally comment on is the audio mixing. And I think the sound of the wind rustling through the New Mexico plains is, is very well done. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's well sound engineered and I like it a lot. Yeah. All right. So my best scene nomination is from the end, right? As Mike and Walt are starting to fight and Mike starts telling off Walt and then, uh, I'll play your best moment um, right after this, Josh, because they're definitely related here. We had a good thing, you stupid son of a bitch. We had Fring. We had a lab. We had everything we needed. It all ran like clockwork. You could have shut your mouth, cooked, and made as much money as you ever needed. It was perfect. But no, you just had to blow it up. You and your pride and your ego. You just had to be the man. If you'd done your job, known your place, we'd all be fine right now. So there's a couple things I love about this. First, I mean, I just sort of betrayed my position on the whole, you know, my preference for the sort of mono e mono. I mean, this is Jonathan Banks versus Brian Cranston. Both very good. I love how, I guess I love a couple things about this scene. One, I love how this is where Mike Ermentrout finally loses his temper. We've seen him be very calm and controlled, cool as a cucumber, always one head, one step ahead of law enforcement, um, you know, always one step ahead of the guys who are trying to kill him when Lydia hires them to kill him, etc. And this is where he just he just loses it. He's just had enough. And when he does, and this is the second thing, he says what's on everyone's mind, everyone who who is around Walt and us as the audience, right? Like you had a good thing, you had to ruin it, you with your pride and your ego. Uh, etc. And he's telling Walt what no one else around Walt wants to hear. Now, obviously, that's going to trigger Walt to go pull the trigger and kill Mike. But I think the scene is really powerful for those reasons. And then this feeds right into your best moment where um, uh, Mike is sitting on the banks of the river right after Walt has shot and just about killed him. And that's when we get this. I just realized that Lydia has a name that I can get him from her. I'm sorry, Mike. This this whole thing could have been avoided. Shut the fuck up. Let me die in peace. Yeah, I think that to to your best scene moment here, just before we get into my best moment, I think that Mike is definitely saying what everybody's been wanting to say. But I think he's also looking at it from his perspective. Like Mike was a loyal soldier to Gus. And, you know, as long as he performed his duties, nothing was going to happen to him. But Walt and Jesse were in a much more dire situation. And a lot of that had to do with Walt continually defending Jesse. And, you know, had he been willing to let Jesse go and work with Gail or whatever, I think Gus would have, you know, let let Walt just cook forever, you know, and, and it would have been fine. But so I, I definitely think I mean, we've talked a lot about how Walt's ego is the core of his problems at this point. But at the same time, there was some justification for pushing back on Gus. Now, I'm not saying that they should have 
killed Gale or that they should have let it get to that point. But I think that there was certainly more friction there than Mike ever felt with Gus. And so I think that's typical when you're arguing with someone, you're really only thinking about your side of it. And from Mike's perspective, Walt really did ruin everything. And, you know, that was the the beginning of the end for Mike as a character, unfortunately, which we then heard Walt attempted to apologize. And then Mike said, can you just let me die in peace? And uh, it, I think it's a it's a fitting end for Mike. But at the same time, it's almost like you wish he could have gotten. Away. I mean, you just kind of wish he'd gotten away. Yeah, you, I, I think this was probably a bit of a shock to people when they first saw it, because he was set up to sort of have some sort of a role to play in the rest of these episodes. I mean, he's trying to get away, but the DEA is clearly still interested in him. And at the same time, you know, he then gets off and, and no more Mike. So I don't know. What, what do you think about, about that whole thing? Yeah. I mean, if I'm, uh, if I'm, you know, maybe like tweaking the best moment a little bit, I love that, that moment, but I also just love the power of the moment where Walt shoots Mike because that is super unexpected. And the first time I was watching, I was like, what? Mike is dead? Or, I mean, die, shot and then obviously dead later. Um, and, and that was really remarkable. And uh, I agree. The other reason I like your choice for best moment, though, is because this is continuing on the theme of, like, Mike telling Walt what no one else will tell him. You know, how many times have we seen Walt blubber his way through a fake confession or just talk because he needs to fill an awkward silence, et cetera. And Mike is just like, shut the F up and let yeah. me die. And it's like, okay, finally someone told Walt what we've all been dying to tell Walt. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you think about Walt's dialogue here? Is he really remorseful or, I mean, like I, I read it as he actually feels bad that he killed Mike because just not, not, 20 minutes ago in the episode, he was calling to warn Mike about the DEA coming to find him. And part of that might have been self-preservation because he totally. knew that Mike had all the information on him. But at the same time, he probably knew Mike wasn't going to talk. You know, Mike has it's not Mike's first rodeo with DEA. And so, you know, that I, I sort of get mixed feelings about whether or not Walt was serious here. Yeah, I I, I concur. I think what I would say is that I view Walt's apology here kind of like the addict's apology for going back and using for the 20th time. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, you might be kind of feeling it in the moment, but like nothing in your behavior leads me to believe that this is genuine or that anything will change from here on out. Right. So, so it's, it's just, like, it's a genuine words. fake apology, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's yeah, not that he's, fair. it's not that he's like trying to make Mike think he's really sorry. Like, I think he does feel emotion in that moment, but the emotion's not deep enough to drive any repentance and amendment of life, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I will just say before we move on for my best moment, I had an honorable mention, which is just a very small thing, no audio, but the DEA, you know, busts in and, and tries to search Mike's house and he's already gotten rid of all the evidence that he was ever involved. And I just love that he's just sitting on his chair, like watching TV while while Hank and Gomi and the, the rest of the DEA team are, are swarming through his house, rifling through things. And he's just watching TV. I just yeah, love that moment. That, that was a good one. And it actually reminded me, I was going to try to do some research and see if I could find out what movie he was watching because we know that's not going to be arbitrarily chosen. So I'm curious. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch what it was either. Um, my best moment was very, very brief, very little audio. I didn't even grab the audio for it, uh, but it's just when the lawyer is stuffing the safety deposit boxes the second time. And then Gomi and his guys show up in the doorway and Gomi just has this like really cheesy grin plastered on his face. 
and says like, hey. And <laughs> that's when we know the game's up, obviously, for the lawyer and that the DEA is that much closer to to chasing down Mike and the whole trail of money to lead them to Heisenberg, et cetera. Uh, and I just thought that was a really um, comical but also serious moment. All right, let's pivot to the best writing here, Josh, as we look to wrap it up. We both had the same selection. I'm going to play it. This is just from uh, the dialogue between Jesse and Walt as Jesse says he wants out and Walt is trying to convince him otherwise. All the people that we've killed, Gail and the rest. If you believe that there's a hell, I don't know if you're into that, but we're, we're already pretty much going there, right? But I'm not going to lie down until I get there. What, just because I don't want to cook meth anymore, I'm lying down? How many more people are going to die because of us? No one. None. Now that we're in control, no one else gets hurt. You keep saying that, and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done. Okay? You just give me my money, and you and I, we're done. Yeah, that whole hell thing. I don't know. I don't know if you're into that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that line it's is a strange. Comment. I don't know if you believe it? about that. Yeah. yeah, it's like I don't believe Walt believes in it. You know, at this point, you know, I, he's never purported to be a religious person, but he's also never mentioned it. So it's weird that he brings it up. I I feel like there's just so many things to unpack here, and it's just such powerful writing and and just great dialogue. I feel like if you're an actor and you get this dialogue, you're just jumping for joy because it really allows you to sink your teeth into it and really deliver a lot of different, different emotions, different, uh, you know, perspectives and things like that. What I like about this, this writing is that it's just another example. We've talked so much about this, about how this relationship is unfolding between Jesse and Walt. And sometimes Walt seems like the father figure. And sometimes even Jesse seems like the father figure and Walt seems like the child. But I think here is just another example of Walt's manipulation towards Jesse. I mean, he tries so many different tactics to try to get him to stay involved. And, and I started to wonder, what is, multi, what, is, what is Walt's motivation to keep Jesse involved? He knows he's not going to talk. So I don't think that's the problem. But he's, he's clearly hurt when Jesse leaves. And, you know, he threatens him. He says, you're never going to get your money. And, and, and Jesse finally just says, fine, I'm out of here. I don't need it. Just keep it. You know, Jesse's been smarter with his money. So I, I wonder what is Walt's motivation for maybe he just has this like codependency. Maybe it really does feel like losing a child to him. Yeah, that's my best guess. I really do think that's it. I mean, I also think that when you're doing something bad, it helps to have a partner in crime, right? Like, um, you know, I'm just thinking about like growing up, you know, my siblings, right? It's like easier to break a rule if your sibling is breaking a rule too. And I think that's just a, a part of human nature. You know, you don't want to be the only one who's doing something bad. It helps it helps you feel better about doing something bad if there are others doing it with you. And Jesse's been Walt's literal partner in crime since day one of his little meth adventure. And I think he doesn't want to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. I think to that point too, we'll get us we'll get a scene in the next episode where they just are, you know, talking with each other, reminiscing about the past. And I think that's part of it too. Like he just wants someone to connect with on this. Yeah. And even Skylar who knows what he's doing he can't connect with her because she's not there with him. So, and also she hates him at this point. Right. So. I mean, I was going to say like, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that next episode. Yeah. There's a scene where he like tries to open up to her about job dynamics and she just right. <laughs> literally walks out of the room while he's talking right. to her. So but I do, I do love what you pointed out here though, about Walt making this declaration, like no one else is going to get hurt. We are in charge. And yet over the course of spoiler alert for the next episode, a lot of people die. 
and it's and it's at Walt's hands. I mean, it's directly at Walt's hands. I mean, in this episode, Mike, but in future episodes, many more people. And I think it's just so he's so blinded by everything that he thinks he's in charge. He feels like he's in charge, and yet he has no control. He he's it's 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 like he's spiraling, and there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that from what I had written in the episode notes because. Jesse's biggest concern is right. I don't want anyone to get hurt. I don't mind making money off meth and keeping, you know, helping guys get high, whatever. That's for Jesse somehow acceptable, but he draws the line at innocent people dying, which is, I think, like, you know, it's not the best place to draw a line. It probably should have been drawn way before that, but it's not an unreasonable place to draw a line, right? Like, yeah, I can yeah, respect yeah. that line in the sand that uh, Jesse has drawn. And he says, like, how many people are going to get killed? as we keep doing this and Walt very clearly says none now that we're in charge and then you know by the end of this episode like you just pointed out Mike or Walt shoots Mike needlessly Mike is leaving he's not a risk to Walt in any way but Walt gets, gets irritated by him and shoots him so that's that's one thing that I noticed the other thing that we haven't talked about is um you know how uh Walt says all the people we've killed Gail and the others <laughs> and so <laughs> interestingly the only one he names here is the one that he is not directly responsible for, right? It was yeah, Jesse. I, I think that's on purpose. Yeah, oh, totally. totally. I mean, it's again to your point about manipulation, right? Like he's reminding Jesse, you've killed, right? He doesn't need to, to list, you know, all the other guys that he has killed, like Gus, yeah. for example. Uh, he just reminds Jesse of Gail and the others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I, I feel like the thing that they're both missing, which is the most frustrating thing, it's, it's not frustrating. It would be frustrating if this was a real life situation, and it is, you know, for for people who do make drugs, but they're they're totally missing out on the fact that people do get irreparably harmed by using drugs. And Jesse should know this firsthand because he's been a user of drugs and had, knows the consequences. But, you know, you go back to the indirect killing that they were involved in with the crash of the two planes together and how many lives were affected by by their poor decision making and their you know sort of involvement in these illicit empires and i think that that's like yes obviously we should not be actively killing anybody and that that's a good you're right that's a good place for Jesse to draw the line if he's going to decide to draw it anywhere but the thing that they always gloss over is that the, what they're doing getting people hooked on this i mean Walt talks about it as like a prideful thing like my meth is the the best it's going to get them the best high it's like that's not a good that's not a good thing dude that's not cool <laughs> we shouldn't be you know having people addicted to this stuff and, and they just sort of they've lost they've completely lost that as characters which just shows sort of the 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 depth that they've fallen when you said that though it made me realize what he should have said at the beginning to declan is a higher purity means a higher high <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. That's good. All right, let's move on to Nits to Pick as we uh, look to wrap this up with the MVP tally just after this. So I, I already talked about my one nit, which is Luis Ferreira in that role. That's the second of three appearances he has in the series, so he's he's not going to be in a whole lot longer. I think he's in episode two of 5B, you know, the second part of, so right, basically right. episode 10. I think he's in episode 10. Yeah. Um, and not again after that. But that's my one nit to pick for this episode. What do you have, Josh? Yeah, just two small things. The I know why they did it. They needed to involve this other lawyer to sort of propel the plot forward. But he's like almost comically a bad lawyer and yeah. bad at what he does. Agreed. And and it's just sort of like he he his only way of defense is like I'm gonna bring sweet treats to this bank manager or bank employee. So that's one of them. Um, 
the other one is that Walt is then, you know, he's back retrieving the the device from Hank's office and Hank very loudly says, "We're going to get Ermin Trout." And it's like, yes, he he doesn't think that Walt knows who this is, but right. it seems like kind of official important maybe secret business. Like, would he really be talking that loudly in the open? So that was a little bit, you know, one of those plot moments that just seemed a little too convenient. Yeah, I have to say I've never worked in a DEA office, so I don't know how, like, freely yeah, people I talk about these things. But uh, yeah. I would think that with someone, it would just be protocol, right? With someone who's not an agent in there, in earshot, right. you probably wouldn't, right? Like, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't care if he's your brother-in-law. You'd just be sensitive about it. Right, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Okay, time for the MVP tally. Who gets your MVP vote for this episode, Josh? You know, I think the easy answer here is Walt. I mean, I think he just has the most to do, but and I haven't done this much through this this uh, this whole podcast, but I'm going to give it to Mike. It's his last appearance. I just he does a really nice like Jonathan Banks does a nice job in this in this episode. He's done a nice job in the series. I just feel like throwing him a bone. He did a good job, and I do think you know, to the point of MVP, it's not always about the person who has the most or who's necessarily the best, but right. someone who drives the plot forward. And he certainly does. So Mike, you get an MVP vote for your final episode. Well, I am going to throw Mike a second bone. You know, I like to go for the underdog in these votes anyway. That's um, right. And yeah, I agree. I mean, he was, you know, my selection for um, best, uh, best scene and your yours for best moment. I think he tells us a lot about the way Walt's character is developing just from that that ending scene that he appeared in um, and there was stuff earlier as well but I think that ends ending scene is what clinched it for me so I give it to Mike he then ends his run on the show with seven votes which actually ties him surprisingly with Gus Fring so not good. a bad run for Jonathan Banks playing Mike Ermintrout alright I think that's it for today Josh should we wrap it up on season 5 episode 7 say my name go ahead <laughs> say it you know you know that's everything I have that's All everything right. I have well, thanks for listening to another episode of Breaking Pod. Like Sam emailed us, you can email us as well, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. Always like getting listener mail, so go ahead and send us a note. We'll be sure to read it on the show and give you an answer back. And until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm, say my name, Josh. <laughs> Have a great week. <laughs>